We are three weeks away, just three, from Good Friday and Easter morning. The culmination of the Christian church, the high point of the Christian church, that weekend when we celebrate our Savior's death and resurrection from the dead. It's a high point of the Christian church, and it's only three weeks away. And what we've been doing to prepare our hearts for that weekend is we've been looking at this series called The Jesus, not that I want, but The Jesus That I Need. There's a big difference, isn't there? The Jesus I want can be many things. And in fact, I, I, I do a really good job of transforming Jesus into the, the person and the God that I want him to be instead of opening up Scripture and looking to see who he really is. But as we've been going through this series, the, the irony of it all is that as we open Scripture and we see who Jesus is and what he came to do, we realize he's the one that I need, but also the one that I want. I want the Savior on the pages of Scripture when I realize the need that I have. And that's a need for a Savior like him. Today, we're going to jump right into Matthew chapter 20 as we look at uh, a Savior, uh, or, or the Jesus, someone to suffer for us. We're going to jump into Matthew chapter 20. And it's within the last couple weeks of Jesus' life as they're going up to Jerusalem. And what we're going to see in this section of Scripture uh, is three things. We're going to see that this section of Scripture is challenging. This section of Scripture is terrifying. And this same section of Scripture is comforting. As I said, we're in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew is one of Jesus' disciples, one of his 12 disciples that followed Jesus around for three years. Uh, he was part of the group of men that Jesus had set aside to instruct at a, a deeper level because he knew those 12, or the idea was that 12, without Judas, uh, 11, were going to carry on the Christian church after Jesus died, rose again, and ascended up into heaven. And so in, in Matthew chapter 20 here, Jesus takes the 12 disciples aside on his way up to Jerusalem to give them some instruction. Here's what we're told. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the 12 aside and said to them, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will, be, they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. So Jesus takes those 12 aside and he says, Guys, I, I want you to understand what's about to happen. We're going up to Jerusalem, and what's going to happen there is that I, the Messiah, I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests, to the Jewish religious leaders, and they're going to condemn me to die. And then they are going to hand me over to the Roman government, the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, and they will mock me, they will flog me, whip me, and then they're going to crucify me. But on the third day, I will rise again. Jesus' death on the cross was not an accident. We see that here. Jesus, just a couple of weeks away from dying, knows exactly what is going to happen. And yet he still went. 
If it's me, I'm running. But Jesus didn't. He knows what's coming in Jerusalem, and yet he continues to go up to Jerusalem. Why? Love. For who? For whom? You. Jesus went up to Jerusalem, where he was handed over to die. He was mocked. He was flogged. He was crucified. Why? For you. To save you from your sins. To conquer the grave for you. There's no other reason but because he loved you. And it's through this message that, that Jesus went up to Jerusalem where he was condemned to die, where he was mocked, flogged, and crucified, and rose from the dead on the third day. It's by believing that message that you have eternal life through him. It's all love that Jesus continued going on. Because we look at it and we say, why would you go up, Jesus, if you know this is going to happen? Simply love. So Jesus just pulls his disciples aside and says, we're going up and here's what's going to happen. Here's the conversation that happens next. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. Stop right there. Who are we talking about? The sons of Zebedee are James and John, two great disciples, one of the twelve, and their mother is Salome. Salome is also a great follower of Jesus on her own. Uh, Salome was uh, one of the, one of a very few eyewitnesses of the crucifixion. Uh, Jesus had twelve disciples. Judas was one, but he betrayed Jesus. The, out of the other eleven, Only John was an eyewitness to the crucifixion. But guess who was there with him? Salome, his mother. Easter morning, uh, very early in the morning, the women go out to the tomb to prepare Jesus' body for burial. And who's going up to the tomb? Salome, to prepare the body of Jesus. Who's one of the first ones to see the stone rolled away and the tomb empty? Salome, James and John's mother. She's a great follower of Jesus. And she comes to Jesus with a request. With her sons in on it. Here's what her request is. Well, Jesus says, what is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. What an incredible request at such a time. Jesus just gets done pouring out his soul. He says, here's what's going to happen to me. I'm going to go up and die. And James and John, with their mother, think that this is an appropriate time who asks for the seats of honor in Jesus' kingdom. Jesus, I know you're going to die. You just said that. But if I don't ask now, I may never get to ask. Can I sit next to you in your kingdom? Imagine if this happened. It would be like this. If Anne had a doctor's appointment coming up and she was really nervous for it and she was anxious and concerned and she's pouring out her soul as to how how anxious she is and and how nervous and, and she ends by saying, I just can't wait for it to be done. 
Imagine how it would go over if I said, you know what, when it's done, we should go to Texas Roadhouse. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna get the rattlesnake bite. And you know what, I'm also gonna get a steak. With a house salad, of course, because they have the best house salad. You know I love their house salads. It's got the, the crumbled uh, egg on top with tomato, really good cheese, and I'm gonna get the ranch. And you know what else? I'm gonna splurge, I'm gonna get the loaded baked potato. Talk about insensitive, right? That's what the disciples just did, James and John. Jesus says, I'm going to go up to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. And crucifixion was reserved for the worst of criminals. And what are James and John's concerns? Where do I get to sit in your kingdom? Insensitive. Here's how the other ten respond. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. They were mad. Why? Not because it was an insensitive question, but because they didn't ask first. Everyone was holding it in, waiting for just the right time, and James and John broke protocol and asked too soon before the other ten could ask. What it reveals in the hearts of the disciples is their real reason for following Jesus. Glory, honor, recognition, I'm going to do my time now so that later on I get to move up and I get status. I get some authority. I'll be able to boss people around because Jesus will be at the top and I will be sitting next to him and there will be people under me. Here's how Jesus responds. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, not so with you. How does the world work? A top-down approach. Boss at the top, and then he has people under him and people under them, and the boss gets to dictate down authority, and they get to exercise that authority. Not so with you, Jesus says. Jesus says in the kingdom of God, it's upside down. Jesus is at the bottom. He serves us so that we can serve, so that we can serve, so that we can serve. It's not a top-down approach. It's a bottom-up. And that's your first point today. In the kingdom of God, Jesus says that the way up is actually the way down. He says, you want to be great, be a servant. You want to be first, be a slave, Jesus says. See, in the kingdom of God, Jesus says, if you want to be great, serve. If you and your spouse uh, split the chores of the household, do their, do their chores as well, not grudgingly, not bitterly, but simply to serve them and love them. In the kingdom of God, see yourself as a parent who doesn't boss your kids around, but is there to serve your kids as they develop emotionally, spiritually, and physically. You serve them. In the kingdom of God, if you want to be great, set your coworker up 
for recognition, for status. Give them the glory. Give them the honor. Hold them above yourself. In the kingdom of God, if you want to be great, serve. Do you find that challenging? If I'm honest, I do. Because a servant serves without any concern for his own recognition, for his own status, for his own glory, for his own honor. He simply serves. And he serves to bring the person that he's serving honor, glory, recognition, and status. A servant doesn't worry about themselves. It's all about the person they are serving. And I find that challenging. Because deep down in the heart of Stephen Apt is pride. I may be willing to serve, but how often don't I think deep down, man, I'm willing to serve as long as somebody recognizes my serving. I'm willing to serve as long as it's kind of a I scratch your back, you scratch my back type of situation. I'll serve as long as we're under the understanding that you'll kick it back to me some other time. I may be willing to serve as long as I find some personal satisfaction out of it. I may be willing to serve as long as I get a simple thank you. Jesus is not so with you. If you want to be great, serve. Forget about self. Forget about yourself and simply serve others. It's challenging in my own heart. And it's challenging in the culture in which we live where what do we hear? We hear all about self-esteem, self-promotion. We hear all about status and values and getting more of it and valuing status with transitory things, things that are here today, gone tomorrow. And we want that. This section is challenging because Jesus says if you, want to, if you want to go up in the kingdom of God, go down. Put others before yourself and serve. And that's a challenge. This section of scripture is also scary when you stop and think about it. Because what did Jesus say about himself? It's your second point. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. Jesus didn't come to this world to be served by his disciples. He came to serve. And when you stop and think about that, how incredible is that? He's the God of this world, the God of all creation who spoke everything into existence, who formed mankind out of the dust of the ground by molding and shaping. And what did the God of this world come to do? Serve. He left his heavenly throne where he came to this world and didn't even have a home. He had... Uh, uh, maybe a couple sets of clothing, maybe one. 
He didn't have wealth. He relied on other people to provide for him. He had all power in the, in the universe, and yet he didn't spend one miracle on himself. It was all about others. He came to serve. And why is that so scary? Because what did we just say about our hearts? We have deep down pride. And it's hard for us to serve, and yet Jesus is always serving. My heart and Jesus' heart is different. It's not simpatico. It's not on the same page. It's not even in the same book. Jesus, the perfect uh, Son of God, is never concerned about being served, but only serving in every single aspect. And yet here I am, wondering how I'm going to get recognition from it. Wondering how it's going to impact me. Our hearts are very different. And if I have a different heart than God, how do I get in the kingdom? What's it mean for my eternal impact? Do you see how scary this section is? Jesus says he is so different from us. It's challenging section of scripture as Jesus tells us to serve. It's also scary because Jesus is perfectly serving others and I struggle just to serve one person on a day-to-day basis. It's challenging. It's scary because what does this mean for us? But it's also incredibly comforting this section. Because Jesus says he came to serve, not to be served, served, and to give his life as a ransom. If Jesus' main point of coming to earth was to be the perfect example for you and me, we would be in big trouble. And I pray that's not what we take away from this section of Scripture, that Jesus just came to show me how to perfectly serve. Because otherwise, we're doomed. Because you and I have been taken captive by sin. The grave has captured us. Satan has his influence over us. And if Jesus came to be the perfect example for us on how to serve, we can't win our escape. We can't break free. Because we can't do it perfectly. And yet what Jesus tells us in this section is so comforting. Because he didn't come to be our perfect example. He came to be our perfect ransom. And that's your last point. Jesus served as not just a perfect example, but the perfect ransom. We're at the stage in our family where there's a lot of Disney princesses around. And one of them that is really popular in our house right now uh, is Belle from Beauty and the Beast. And And Beauty and the Beast portrays this so wonderfully. At the very beginning of the movie, crazy old Maurice has his new invention, and he's taking it uh, to a fair where he's going to sell this new invention, and it's going to be wonderful. Unfortunately for Maurice, he gets lost in the woods and ends up in a castle where there happens to live a beast. And the beast takes Maurice and throws him into a jail cell. Well, Belle goes looking for her dad, Maurice, 
and stumbles upon the castle and wanders in and finds her dad in the jail cell. And she's trying to break him free when all of a sudden the beast shows up. And she pleads with the beast to let Maurice go, but the beast won't release him. And so what does Belle say? Take me instead. I'm going to give my life as a ransom for Maurice so that he can go free, so that he can be freed from this prison cell. And that's exactly what happens. She takes his place. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do on a much greater level. Jesus didn't just come to be a prisoner for life. Jesus came to be your perfect ransom. He came to serve as your ransom. Coming to this world to serve you by going up to Jerusalem where he'd be condemned by the church leaders, where he'd be mocked, he'd be flogged, and he would be crucified as the perfect ransom for all of your sins, to free you from the captivity of sin, to rise from the dead so that the grave can't hold you any longer. You're free from it. To release you from the control of the devil in your life. Jesus gave his life as a, as a ransom for many so that you and I stand here with changed hearts because the blood of Jesus poured out from the cross and forgave all the sins of pride that res reside in my heart and yours. He changes our hearts to be like his so that we enter the kingdom of God through Jesus. Jesus came to seek us, to serve us, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And that includes you. And that includes me. And that service changes our hearts. When we see that Jesus didn't come to be up here, but he really came to be down here, and he serves us, we know that all of our needs are met through our Savior who is constantly serving us. And so because our needs are met, we now look to serve others. We want to be great. We don't go up, we go down. And we serve. Because we have a Savior who has perfectly served each and every one of our needs. It is through our suffering Savior that we've been freed that we've been forgiven, and that we have life eternal. And since we have a Savior who serves our needs, who perfectly serves us, we now can go and serve others and live that life of love. May God be with us as we carry this out. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, and yet you left your throne in heaven to come and serve us. Uh, what an amazing thing it is to know that you knew exactly what was going to happen and yet you still went up to Jerusalem because it's what we needed. It's what we needed uh, to be served. We needed a Savior to live perfectly. We need a Savior to die and a Savior to rise and you willingly served us in this way. It wasn't about your glory. It wasn't about yourself. It was all about us. We thank you for that forgiveness and that love that you've won for us 
as we uh, stand firm in that forgiveness and eternal life, knowing that you have served us perfectly, help us to serve one another. Help us to forget about ourselves and simply be concerned about how we can prop others up, serving their needs, knowing and trusting that you will serve all of our needs. We ask all this in your name. Amen.